0: My guest today is Ben Fisher, founder and CEO of a subscription app for Shopify called Rodeo. Funny enough, I was planning to record a solo episode about subscriptions for e-commerce, but before I got around to it, Ben's name popped up in my email. I really love his customer-centric approach to implementing subscriptions for e-commerce businesses. He reminds us that people don't want subscriptions. They want the right product at the right time based on their personal needs. When you approach subscriptions this way, you'll ultimately increase your customer lifetime value, reduce customer churn, and create an overall better experience for your customers. I don't want to give away all the details though, so let's hop into the episode. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm excited to geek out on subscriptions. And as you guys know, I always do pre-chat. So Ben and I have already gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole about this and he's got some opinions and I'm really excited to share them. But before we get to all of that, can you just tell us a little bit about why you got into the subscription space and why we should listen to anything that you have to say today?
1: Oh, that's quite the task. No. Why you should listen to me? Well, my backgrounds as a designer and programmer, and there were different waves of entrepreneurship in my life. We'll ignore when I was a child, but as an adult, I started off building B two B software companies, and I would struggle early on with the business model. And at one point, I think this was probably like twelve years ago. I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep it stupid simple. I'm going to focus on how can I help other people make more money and apply my coding skills to building tools that help other people accomplish things they didn't think they could. And at the time e-commerce was really interesting to me. And it seemed like a really fertile ground. This is probably around like 2012. And I got really interested in e-commerce. I ended up linking up with a guy who eventually became my co-founder who had built and sold an e-commerce brand. And he and I worked together for, I think like six and a half years. We owned a company together for eight years. And through that experience, I just, A, got to know a lot about him and his story and his experience building and scaling and selling their company. And then with our business, which was called Cart Hook, where we started off in shopping cart kind of abandonment and then we pivoted into doing post purchase upsells on shopify but through that we worked one on one with a lot of brands and so i got sort of two things one of which is i became friends with a lot of merchants at like just a human level really empathize with their journey which has a lot of parallels to mine even though i'm kind of in a different lane and then the second piece of that too is just i saw how much opportunity there was to like apply the things that i'm good at to help other people Realize their dreams too. So there's like a feel good piece to that too. But that's how I ended up here. And I'd say now that I've been building tools in e commerce for about 10 years, there's a lot of, at this point, we'll call it category knowledge and experience. And I've done a fair amount of consulting in between even my companies of working in house at brands too. And my co founder for Rodeo, he's been the CTO of several subscription e commerce brands over the last 10 years. So I kind of came from the vendor side, he came from the brand side, and then we swapped where I was on the brand side for a bit consulting. And so that might have been more detailed than you're asking, but that's kind of where I am and how I got here.
0: Yeah, I love to hear all those stories, because I always think about what would the next iteration of my career be? Like, if I just stopped doing this, what would it be? And Coming from being the retailer to now teaching the retailer, and we talked about this a little bit on our pre-chat, is how I've just sort of fell into being like the tech person. And I'm by no means a developer, but I'm more techie than the people that I teach. (laughs) And I just think about all the time I've spent as a client of SaaS products. I'm like, I think I want to be like the customer success manager at a SaaS product so I can do it better than how it was done for me. (laughs) So, you know, this journey is crazy and I just love all of it.
1: I was gonna say, we should talk (laughs) when you want to pivot into that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I told you too, I just want to be a full stack developer just because I want to, you know, I'll just carve out some time to learn all of that and then keep up with it. And Yeah, we'll see. Okay, so why subscription? What was it about that? And where do you see subscription kind of fitting into the D2C space now and in the future?
1: It's almost like you take a zoom out a bit. And what we've seen over the last 12 years, and even software, is SaaS, recurring subscriptions. Like that's been, we'll call it like the holy grail of business models, has always been. The value of recurring revenue, it compounds. So then you have like variables around churn and expansion revenue. So you saw that early on with like Photoshop or Adobe Suite, Netflix on the consumer side. And so I would say like that's fairly standard in SaaS tools at this point. Like it's just considered a really good and healthy business model. And then about 10 years ago, it was before Shopify IPO'd, but e-commerce was kind of having like a new wave of life pushed into it. And at the time, I think BigCommerce and Magenta were sort of the leaders in the space, for at least mid market. But Shopify kind of came seemingly a bit out of nowhere. And actually, you know what? Let me back up a little bit. I think Birchbox was sort of one of the first subscription model products that I remember. And there's another one called Boxycharm. And my girlfriend at the time, she had been working at one of these subscription brands. And so I was like super fascinated because it was all also just trial products. So you get like small little batches of beauty products. I didn't frankly have much need for them, but it was interesting to observe. And fast forward over the next four and a half years, you have this entire wave of subscription e-commerce products. Daily Harvest is one of the well-known examples in the United States. My business partner, actually, he had been the lead engineer there early on. And so you have this entire crop of subscription e-commerce brands where similar to what happened in software, where you'd buy an annual license for Photoshop, now you had a much more palatable, call it $10 a month, but forever, kind of like the lease of a car.
0: It still feels better, though.
1: Yeah, but you spend more money. But like most things, even thinking about financing in general, in a lot of ways, it increases your addressable market because the price is a lot more palatable. And so over the last seven years, subscription e-commerce went from super nascent and like only some brands were offering it to the latest stat i saw was around 70 percent of direct to consumer e-commerce brands offer some sort of subscription so that could be subscription on the i will deliver you the six pack of your favorite coffee or drink every month to like baby stuff and clothing and apparel but mostly you'll see it around beauty and cosmetics and food and beverage and amazon subscribe and save is sort of like again one of those examples that a lot of people are familiar with and so subscription has for a lot of reasons become a really mature market. And with that actually has introduced new problems. that's cannibalized itself a bit. Like subscriptions are an awesome business model for a lot of products, but there are trade-offs. And one of those is that now that 70% of brands are basically asking you to commit to marriage, people are more reluctant to subscribe to something or they'll only have so many subscriptions in parallel. And so what you end up having are people at sort of a height of canceling and also more and more people are having bad experiences with subscriptions and everyone's had it. I actually had one about a month ago. I received a family-sized shipment of paper towels and I still had paper towels. I had nowhere to stack the paper towels in my apartment. They're literally in my freezer right now.
0: He lives in New York City, guys. Like He doesn't have room for that stuff.
1: <laughs> that was a bad experience. And the first thing it is, I canceled my subscription. And that is the number one reason people cancel any subscription is too much product. And it's kind of insane when you think about it. It's like, where did these arbitrary time-based subscriptions come from like if every site is offering like a 30-day subscription or a 60-day subscription how much actual thought and research was put into that time frame match with the product there are certain brands who've been really thoughtful about trying to match we'll call it the packaging to the cadence of your consumption but again like any person's life varies Like life happens regardless of what your subscription interval is. Sometimes you're consuming more coffee, sometimes just consuming less. And so consumers don't care about subscriptions. What they care about is the convenience of sort of set it and forget it. But the reality of it now is that it in a lot of ways can be more inconvenient than it is convenient for certain types of customers. And so you're asking like, what's the future? I think it's in a lot of ways, pairing the right sales strategy with the right customer so if i'm someone who just wants a subscription and i don't really care if it perfectly matches then subscriptions are perfect for me but that's a subset of consumers or of customers for any brand because there's a lot more people who are like i want more control over that what i want instead is check in with me and say hey do you need more and then i can sort of have the ability to opt in or opt out or say hey remind me in a week similar to like any sort of calendar reminder you'd have where it's not someone just being able to run your credit card without your permission. And that's a lot of where I would say that we have experimented with from a design perspective is it's not all or nothing. Most traditional subscriptions, you're either a subscriber or you have to cancel or you have to continuously watch your inbox to skip before they charge you. And on the other hand, it's like, or you have to remember to buy based off of their email marketing or based off of you just having to remember. And what we are seeing is there is, and there should be an in-between mode where it's like, all right, it's not a full-on renewing subscription, but it's not nearly as much cognitive load of you being responsible for having to remember. And so that to me is what gets me excited because I'm like, all right, what's a better experience? And so, yeah, that's where we play.
0: Oh man, there's so much. Like my listeners most of them probably know that in 2018, I had a subscription box. It was the height of the subscription box craze. And it was a lifestyle curated discovery, quarterly, expensive box. And you could do that then. I would never recommend anybody do that now because I think the novelty of all that has worn off. But it's amazing how quickly... The consumer sentiment has changed between then and now. It did kind of just get oversaturated. And I've got people in my audience who started out with a subscription box and they're slowly like working their way out (laughs) into like a boutique instead, because it's just kind of a nightmare to keep up with. And what I learned during that time is there are people who subscribe to stuff and there are people who don't. Like some people are just not comfortable having anything auto charge, And for me, the things that I subscribe to are the things that I always need. Like stuff for my cat so that I don't run out of litter. <laughs> women shaving stuff. And as you said, paper towels. Although now I live in the suburbs and I have a garage so I can store them when I have too many. You can buy in bulk. Yes. I mean, we moved to the Burbs and it was like, oh, Costco, right? Whereas before in our tiny little apartment, there was no room for that stuff. So I feel your pain there. But it really has changed so much. And I think ultimately what I hear you say is the monthly recurring revenue is the byproduct of creating a really great customer-centric experience. Yes.
1: You said it better than I did. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's absolutely right. And it's not that subscriptions aren't great, it's just you need to match the right mechanism with each person. And for some it's buying in bulk. Like if you live in the Burbs and you have a garage, you can store stuff. But like for me in New York City, like the fact that I'm storing paper towels in my freezer is testament to my issues. And the brands that I've observed and have worked with who are doing a really great job, a lot of it comes down to nuance. It's about pairing the right strategy with your business and that will evolve over time and it also changes at the various levels of scale especially in b2b SaaS, it's well known that you're going to hit growth plateaus where at a certain point churn typically catches up with you if your churn isn't below i think it's generally around three percent or less and with a really healthy business you actually have expansion revenue where you're expanding through your existing accounts so they're spending more money and there's no churn at all you're actually expanding based off of your existing customer base and i think for any e-commerce brand, you need to have like a bunch of tools in your toolbox, so to speak. And you need to keep in mind that the goal for an e-commerce brand is not to have subscriptions, it's to maximize customer lifetime value. And that's just at the financial side. Like obviously, anyone who has a brand with a capital B is like, well, no, my goal is to deliver a great consumer experience and more value than anyone else. And the answer is yes. But going back to the financial side, you want predictable revenue and you want it growing. But subscriptions are just one sort of mechanism. And the truth is that subscriptions aren't actually recurring revenue because people skip months of their subscriptions all the time. And one thing I ask a lot of brands when I talk to them is like, what percentage of your customers skip? Like if you have 100,000 active subscribers, does that actually mean you're charging 100,000 people every month? Like assuming that you only have like a monthly plan? And the answer is always no. And then the next question is, well, so how many people are actually renewing? And very few brands, No. And so my point is, is it's almost like faults that it's recurring because the truth is that a lot of people skip. So you can provide a better experience and capture more repeat business by offering these sort of in-between or intermediate, we'll call it delivery mechanisms, than having everything be like a black and white subscription where you skip and then they don't ask you again for another 30 days.
0: We're going to talk more about that because... Ben also has a podcast, which I will link to, and I was listening to one of the episodes and he was talking to an agency owner who works specifically with Shopify e-commerce brands who have subscriptions in their business. And they got into this conversation about opting in versus opting out of the subscription. So if you guys ever shop Amazon, when you go to a replenishable product, it defaults you to subscribe and save, and you have to change it to a one-time purchase. And this guest said, that's mostly what he has his clients do. And Ben was like, not really a fan. So... (laughs) Can you talk to me a little bit just about why you think that, what data you've seen, and why that's your position?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll say honestly, part of it's just anecdotal. And I think it goes back to being an entrepreneur and a brand builder, and also coming from a background in design. When I think about product design, whether it's digital product or whatnot, it's about providing an an expected and like great experience. And I haven't seen any explicit studies around the impact of, defaulting to subscriptions versus one time. I mean, it's clear that the default setting is probably what most people will sign up for. I think that it's short-sighted though. And this is not a criticism of him. I'm just saying, I think in general, you're not going to be able to build a great business by designing your business model and kind of tricking people to like, on average, buy more than they expect to. And I think that's just a bad brand experience. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't default in subscriptions. And actually what I have seen some brands do really well is they've designed their product to be enjoyed as a subscription. So some of them don't even offer you to be able to buy at one time. In some cases, it does make sense to default into a subscription. I just think that part of it comes down to the education and how obvious that is. And for me, it's less of a, oh, I'm going to default to this because I'll make more money. It should be more around like, this is the way I've really designed the product to be experienced. And I'm probably being a bit too intellectual there, but that's the way I think of it.
0: Yeah, it does make sense, though. It's going to totally depend on every individual business. So the women's razor subscription and what was the men's one? My gosh, it's like the biggest one. And he had the funny videos and the.
1: Uh, I knew it. And then I forgot it because you forgot it. Not Dollar Shave Club, is it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Like it was about a club that you subscribe and you get your shit delivered to you on a regular basis. And that's just how it works. Right. And the women's shave subscription that I get works the same way. You can still go on her site and buy things individually, but the experience is choosing the subscription. And so I think it's different if that is your whole business model versus you have a typical e-commerce site and you go to the product page and like every product you want to buy, you have to like select one. That's like a really crappy experience for the customer. So it depends guys, it depends. Okay, so let's get into some more tactical things about implementing subscriptions in the first place. Is there anyone or any business you would say doesn't have a good opportunity to add a subscription and maybe a mattress, but like other than that.
1: (laughs) It's funny. I have asked this exact question to a lot of different people. And what's funny is what some people perceive to be natural products that are fit for a subscription. Other people don't. The typical example I heard early on when asking this question was shampoo was like universally considered not a good subscription product, but there are shampoos that have built subscription businesses. I think honestly it's called mammals. Mammals is in the name, but there's a few. There's another one called Huron. I'm not pronouncing it right, but they basically do body wash and shampoo. That's like specifically if you have like dandruff, they're a New York-based company. And I don't have any insight into any of these businesses' numbers or like how they do around replenishment and churn and like the things that kind of determine whether or not a business is healthy. I think it is true though. It's like, how often do you think you even replace your shampoo? I mean, I'm bald, so I don't generally buy shampoo i mean i do i have it but i don't consume a lot of it and if you were to ask me when i first buy shampoo what interval would make sense i have no freaking idea
0: yeah i have no idea i just order it when i'm about to run out
1: and there's a great book that's about product design came out a long time ago called don't make me think and a lot of great design and even if you think about marketing and sales a lot of it's around how do you eliminate fear around the purchase that's why people have guarantees and part of it is they know that very few people will actually try to like redeem those guarantees but like money back guarantees 30 day guarantees whatever all of those are intended to be ways to make someone feel more comfortable with making the purchase and one of the challenges around subscriptions and i actually spoke to someone i was asking her like what was the last product she subscribed to and what she actually told me about was like the story where she's been going to this website of a brand for like the last month and a half And doesn't buy the thing because she doesn't want to pay full price for it because the subscription is like 30 percent off but she doesn't know which interval to pick and so instead she does nothing she doesn't buy it and she's gone back to the site like three or four times and i'm like that is a great example of having someone pick an interval before they know how quickly they'll consume it like that's just because the decision you have to make that gets in the way of the sale i would say it's probably a better experience there if you're a first-time buyer and obviously, a brand would want to experiment with this, but there is an argument to be made of saying, "All right, if someone's first buying, do something like what we do, like an on-demand subscription, where it's you say we'll check in with you 14 days after you purchase and see how it's going, and basically how much more do you have left, and we'll help you figure out the ideal interval for you, because that what that does is it eliminates the fear them and waste money. I'm going to end up with another order sent to me in 30 days, and from that point on, maybe then the person can be on an automatic subscription, but Before someone's actually used your product, they don't know if they like it and they don't know how quickly they're consuming it. Because you're buying online, you don't actually have a real sense of the size. Like it could be the size of a can of soda or it could be a jumbo size. And you wouldn't really know because you're not reading like how many ounces is it?
0: Totally not paying attention.
1: (laughs) That does lead me though to one of the unintended consequences and problems that I've seen with brands who are doing subscriptions is you can get to the point where you're trying to make subscriptions so attractive because you want to push people into your subscription program. What ends up happening is you've made it so attractive that you're just attracting a lot of people who don't actually want to subscribe. They'll buy once and cancel, and you're basically taking a thirty percent haircut on a bunch of people who really shouldn't be on your subscription program. And there's no way for you to like enforce a law or a rule saying you can't cancel unless they bought at least twice. So you just can't do that. I assume it's illegal.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of laws popping up around subscriptions and stuff too and state to state and how you have to let them know before a charge is about to happen. And we could go down a whole rabbit hole on that. But yeah, I never really thought about it like that. I'm definitely like the 5% subscribe and save. Here you go.
1: <laughs> well, and I think in a lot of ways, what's great about that is it's basically pairing that mechanism with someone for whom it's actually convenient. Like, Sure, I'm going to say 5%. And this is probably a convenient delivery mechanism. You'll still get some people who sign up just because they want the 5% off, but that's not so much that it really is going to drive a lot of sales. And so I think the important thing to keep in mind, going back to again, like the fundamentals of building a successful e commerce business, it ultimately comes down to customer lifetime value and contribution margin. Like those are really the two variables that determine, we'll say, like the success and failure of a lot of brands selling physical goods is what's your incremental we'll call it like profit per unit you sell. And let's say that your subscription program is 30% off. What ends up happening is you've made that so attractive that yes, a lot of people are signing up, but I guess you could have to look at your data. I've seen enough of this to know that it is in fact what's happened. Like there is a tipping point, probably around 20%, where you're going to disproportionately attract people who are just discount shoppers. And you're giving them a 30% discount on a product they would otherwise pay full price for. And your LTV for that customer is going to be 30% less than you probably have modeled or would expect simply because you've made your subscription offer so attractive. But that also goes back to strategies that I've seen work well with brands is that rather than just offering a discount, how can you stack other types of value to make the subscription or the membership a valuable experience? Like one brand that we work with, what they have is If you're a subscriber, you get access to small batches of coffee that you can't buy if you're just shopping on the store. You only get access if you're a subscriber. And that goes back to just from a strategy perspective, what can you do beyond just making it about the economics so that someone who subscribes or subscribing, you're actually like cultivating loyalty with someone who will be a repeat buyer. Those are the types of things and I've seen, especially like smart brands who are winning is they're being more creative around what are the perks that they can offer someone beyond just the financial piece.
0: And again, like we said, making it more about the customer. And I don't remember if you've actually said this in this episode or if it's because I heard you say it somewhere else, but like (laughs) people don't want subscriptions. They want the product that they want when they need it. And so if you can just sort of, as the business owner, approach it from that perspective versus how do I create more recurring revenue in my business, ultimately you will win. And it can feel, especially as like a smaller brand, you're like, oh, but I really need more revenue. I don't really want to think about the customer. How do I get more revenue? and it can feel slower and annoying. I get it. But in the long term, if your goal is to create a sustainable business over time, that is the better way to do it. So we're talking subscription in general, but you used the word membership. And There's different ways that you can create subscriptions in your business. It can be a simple subscribe and save, get your product on a regular basis. Cool. Then you've got, and these I am not a fan of the membership where you pay every month and then redeem it for a product. Like that feels like the biggest fucking ripoff. Oh man. Do people still do that? Is that like still a thing?
1: If you go into like the data, this is going to be directionally accurate, but not totally accurate, is basically with paid membership programs, customer will typically spend an additional 45% more on products because there's the initial investment you're making. And then you want to use that. There are psychological hooks. And I have seen the data for that.
0: We need to talk about this a little bit because one of the things that I do tell people to do is not to project their own bullshit and experiences on their business. Like so many people will say like, oh, I hate pop-ups. And so they don't want to use a pop-up to collect email, but it's still the best way to collect email. So I'm like, don't project your own crap. So you've got the subscribe and save option. Then you have this membership idea. Tell me a little bit about, is that something people should consider outside of the fact that it's potentially going to make them more money? Am I projecting my own crap on that, Ben?
1: It goes back to like, what's the value you get from the membership? Like there's perfect examples. You mentioned Costco earlier on the show, like, so a Costco membership, you get a discount and being able to buy and bulk. Amazon prime is the other example most of us would know. And
0: also an Amazon prime member. Yep.
1: And so what you would decouple though, what's interesting about that is you're decoupling the Amazon prime subscription from the subscribe and save. Like those are actually two different subscriptions that you're having, like just subscription categories. There's a really good book on this called the Membership Economy that was written I think probably like 10 years ago or so her first name's Robin her last name escapes me at the moment I want to say like waxman but I could be completely wrong
0: I'll look it up and put it in the show notes
1: and it's a fantastic book and what it talks about is the relationship and the limitations of membership versus subscriptions and when you think about them subscription's the parent and subscription yeah. is like a business model and subscriptions are not a business model they are a revenue model and the difference there being that it is just a mechanism like the subscription is not your business it is a way to generate revenue i wish i had like a better example of the difference in nuance but for me when she spoke about that specifically what was interesting about that to me is like i hadn't thought of it that way because i think a lot of us oftentimes conflate subscriptions with membership or even subscriptions with loyalty and the truth is just because someone's subscribing to your product doesn't mean that they're loyal and the way you cultivate loyalty is through a great consumer experience and by providing an enormous amount of value. And you're seeing more and more brands do this. Italic was an early brand that did paid membership. They actually abandoned it, I believe. They're no longer doing They heard about your criticism and they took it <laughs> to heart. But I am seeing more and more brands try to figure out how can we provide value at a member's level because community is a huge moat for a brand, whether you're a B2B SaaS or if you're an e-commerce brand. Like one brand I think about a lot is Mudwater. And what they've done is they've created a coffee alternative That's basically made out of mushrooms. And the pitch is that you don't have the crash from caffeine. I almost said nicotine, caffeine. (laughs) They don't have nicotine in coffee (laughs) as far as I know yet. But what they've done is because it's a lifestyle Like people who drink mud water, there's very other things you could predict about them. I don't know how much more or less likely they are to be vegan, but it's in that world where it's plant based or I know one thing they've done a lot with is like recipes and people who drink mud water, they probably have other things in common. If you take Advil, there's probably a lot less community building that you could do because the likelihood that you're similar is a lot less likely, but brands who've done a great job around community, like that is really powerful. And if you're a brand owner thinking about what are things you're a member of and don't even realize.
0: Apparently I'm a member of things that I don't even, re-
1: don't even realize. You have a mortgage. I don't know if you have a mortgage, but I assume you have a mortgage. I do. You're a member of your bank.
0: (laughs) Sure am. I'm glad it's not Silicon Valley Bank. But (laughs) yeah, so it's really crazy. And this is why I just kind of love having these conversations and why I tell my listeners and stuff all the time to just have more conversations and be more open minded. Because sometimes you have all of these preconceived notions that you don't even realize are there. And then on your own podcast, (laughs) (laughs) you get accidentally called out, but it's totally fine. I love it. Okay. So for you guys listening, I want you to forget about monthly recurring revenue and all of that stuff. I just want you to think, how do you create a better experience for your customer? For some of you, that's going to be offering a subscribe and save option so that they can just get their product when they need it. For others, it is going to be some sort of community and membership. And you know, I talk about community all the time and how important that is. And maybe there is a membership element that you can provide. And I want you to think of it as building that long-term relationship because you already know customer retention is how you make money. You don't make money on customer acquisition. It's not a thing unless you're the wedding industry or you sell cars or mattresses. That's why they're so expensive, right? They're only going to get you once every five years. And in the wedding industry, hopefully only once, I don't know.
1: Getting married every five years sounds painful.
0: Yeah, that would be terrible. So, Put yourself in your customer's shoes. And if you are going to go the subscribe and save option, then think about how often is that customer using it and how can you help them figure it out? Because they probably don't know. And a really good example of this is All Girl Shave Club, Jessica Principe. She's been on the podcast before. It's a women's razor subscription. And she says, how often do you shave? That's all she asks you. And then she gives you the subscription to match how often you shave based on how often you should change the razors, which none of us do often enough. That's a whole other thing. So think about how you can make it really, really easy for them. And like Ben was saying earlier, he had a poor experience with his paper towels and he had more fucking paper towels than he had like messes he can clean up. And so you... As an e-commerce business owner, any business owner, part of your competition is every other poor experience that customer has had with another brand that you had nothing to do with, which sucks.
1: Yeah, they're taking it out on you.
0: Yeah, totally taking it out on you. So those are some of the things that you have to overcome when you are creating this opportunity, which is still a good opportunity. It's still an opportunity for recurring revenue. We just want it to be more valuable than, you know, that one person that just buys to save the money. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time, Ben. Some of the questions that I typically ask at the end, we've actually really already covered, but a couple of things that I would love to get from you is what are the things someone should have in place before they even think about starting a subscription?
1: Well, part of what I'd look at, and this goes back to what you're saying, thinking about the consumption patterns, that recommendation you gave basically a quiz we gave anecdotally from the razor company. That looks great because it also gives someone the sense that you've intelligently made a decision. What you'll notice they didn't ask you is how tall are you? Because I would imagine that the length of your legs also impacts how quickly you go through razors. So one of the things that you really should be looking at is what is your repeat purchase rate of products on your store? So let's say that you're selling, we'll stick with razors as an example. One thing that you should do is look at what's your repeat purchase rate of people who have bought your razors more than once. I mean, you could even say, look at people who've bought it more than twice or more than three times to just look at, is there like a trend around how often they're buying it? That'd be one thing. Another one would be speaking with your customers, reaching out to them and saying, hey, we're considering this, would love your feedback around what Works. And then also, I'd use that as an opportunity to understand, like, what other products are you subscribed to, if any? So I think that's another one of those things of understanding what's your audience and what's their inclination or not to subscribe. Although not everyone's aware of the subscriptions they have.
0: <laughs> like
1: someone else I know, <laughs>
0: Jessica.
1: 100%. But it's still a good exercise to go through because that can also help you understand, like, are these people motivated by price? Are your customers motivated by the convenience of a subscription? You could also do price testing. You can always discount your product more. So my inclination would be to start with a, we'll call it like a relatively minimal discount and try to figure out if there's other ways to stack value. And by minimal, again, don't take this as like gospel. Pricing strategy for C is not my forte. I'm really on like the technical nerd side. So a lot of what I know is from experience and working with brands, but I myself not necessarily the right person specifically around here's the price to use, but I do have experience with it. So something around 15% is probably a safe place to start. And again, you could go up or down and there's a lot of other variables, but when you get into the territory of more than 20%, you're at risk of just eating into your margins and attracting a lot of people who actually aren't going to repeatedly buy. Call it like the subscription trap. And one of the things is because recurring revenue is so attractive, if you start off and you're scaling your subscription program and you really are treating it sort of like you're trying to funnel people into it, there will be a point. It might not feel like a big deal right now and I get it when you're early on, you're basically like I don't care how I get money, I just want more revenue so that like I survive. Totally respect that. I get that. But I am telling you from working with brands who are doing the nine figures that once they've gotten to a place where they're relying on their subscription program, like churn catches up to you. And because you've ingrained the subscription and your price point and stuff, it's really difficult to back out of that. It's very difficult to diversify or change your strategy once the ship is already or the plane, plane's faster. So once the plane is flying, and so just be mindful of like, what are the second order and third order consequences around these decisions? And so just being thoughtful and nuanced around here's the way to do it and trying to focus less on price and more around value, which I think is very non-controversial. Everyone would say that they're trying to do that.
0: Well, I hope so. If they're listening to my podcast, probably, cause that's definitely the direction I try and push people in all the time. I had a couple of questions from the e-commerce badassery community that I would love to get just your thoughts on what you've seen from the brands who use Rodeo specifically of how do you, (laughs) I loved this question, how do you get them to like continue to buy more after that first order? So this particular situation, she said, customers will often place a large order with a mix of one time and subscription products. And then they just fall into this, subscription only action and never buy anything else got any tips for that because i know rodeo specifically you guys have a different approach of how you from a technical perspective get people to buy more stuff so this is probably a good time to explain this
1: well i'll say like i have limited information or limited context around this person's business
0: Yes, it is all natural cleaning supplies and laundry detergent, those kinds of things, like zero waste stuff.
1: Part of what I'd be curious is what are the one-time products the person bought versus the subscription products? And with the one time was that they were trying the product, they didn't like it. And it sounds to me like this is a trend though. This isn't just there's one person who bought a lot in bulk. I would reach out to the customer. And try to figure out like we're not mind readers some of this you can certainly look at a situation and be like this is reasonably probably what's happening what i'd imagine is they've subscribed to the products they've already used and so like they were already confident or that they knew they like lemon fragrance and they were just curious about the other ones because the other piece of what that person's talking about is when someone's subscribing how can you increase average order value and there's two ways two levers that i've seen and that we do it with brands one of which is bundling so how can you take products that someone's already buying on subscription and bundle a third product into it because ultimately that's what you're looking at is how can you take the sort of anchor products and then create a bundle that increases the average order value and still attractive for them sample packs is another one like including a free gift so if someone subscribed to get the we'll stick with the cleaner you can give them a free sample And then with a follow-up, trying to get them to subscribe to the free sample or to continue to buy that. It's also a great way of doing product testing. The other piece, and this is one thing we do is that when someone gets an upcoming order reminder, it's an opportunity to upsell someone. And I don't mean that in like in a douchey way. I mean that in a, first off, you're providing a benefit to the consumer, which is, Hey, I'm giving you notice that your subscription's renewing in a few days, which is just good practice. You can do that through SMS and or through email, typically you do both. And in that, you still have time to add these products to your upcoming renewal, just add them with one click. So part of what we have is that a brand will feature like probably six of their best-selling products in their upcoming order reminder that they can then add to their renewal as a one-time product because they still have a few days before the renewal is processed. It depends on the brand, but you can see as much as like 20% of people taking that offer. The natural concern in general, and this goes back to what we call design, like how important it is just from a brand perspective for me personally around having a great consumer experience is a lot of people are hesitant or reluctant to communicate with subscribers because they don't wanna remind them they have a subscription. Which again, it goes back to that sort of attitude of, it's fear-based, which is, I don't have confidence in my product and I just wanna hope that enough people don't notice it so that my business can continue growing. And the problem with that is you're building a fragile business as opposed to leaning in and being really confident around hey i'm providing an enormous amount of value to people who want and need my product and it's actually really important that someone is having a great experience because they're much more likely to continue to buy from me and i will probably create more goodwill and a better experience by proactively asking people hey do you actually need more and i think the other thing too is you can make recommendations around quantity that's another creative thing you can do is hey was the amount of coffee you got before the right amount did you still have some left and then you can even give advice like It's an unexpected experience that people, when you do it, they're like, holy crap, they're treating me like a human being. And when you go back to like, what are the brands who've been really successful? A lot of them provide really great, unexpected, delightful experiences. And sometimes you are doing that at the cost of short-term revenue, but you're doing two things. You're building up, I hate to use the term brand equity, but you're building up goodwill and a great experience. And ultimately by doing that, you're much more likely to get Word of mouth referrals. And like there are ways that it'll come back from a financial perspective to help you. But I think just from like experience, like it's just good business. Was that helpful?
0: <laughs> yes, it was. Cause you know what else? Like the people who forget they subscribed, they're going to eventually see the charge and either they're going to cancel and not come back. They're going to contact you for a refund (laughs) because they're like, I didn't realize this was happening. I need my money back. And then they're going to be like, oh, this damn company, they keep charging me even though I don't want this anymore. It creates like a whole gross experience.
1: And they can always do a chargeback. And I think the last data I saw was it costs the brand $15 for sending a unwanted product. Most brands won't even deal with you mailing it back because it costs them more in postage than I'm going to do it. But like on average, fulfilling an unrequested or an undesired order costs around $15. Again, obviously depends on like what the product is. But again, I think that's the thing is there is a cost to it from multiple
0: angles. Yeah. And the long-term cost is the worst. Okay. So before we go, tell us a little bit about rodeo. This is not his first rodeo. Sorry, we made that joke earlier and it's part of his, it's even on his website, but tell us a little bit about rodeo specifically, why it's different and who the perfect rodeo customer is.
1: Yeah. So we specifically work with direct to consumer e-commerce brands that have product market fit. So I mean, they don't always offer subscriptions already. We do help brands who have a large transactional business. We'll call it incorporate a subscription revenue piece into it. Or recurring revenue piece into it but we help brands who have product market fit to maximize customer lifetime value through recurring revenue and the actual subscription piece is just one piece of the puzzle and it's one of the mistakes that we've seen brands do is going all in on subscriptions and not recognizing that you can provide a better experience and make more money by treating your customers differently based off of what motivates them So for some people, it might be the normal automatic renewing subscription, but there is a segment of customers who they will buy upon reminder saying, hey, it's been 30 days since you last purchased, do you need more? And because we tokenize their card, they're able to go through and easily purchase again without it being a pain. So you've eliminated like 95% of the friction of the repeat purchase, and it's not relying on the person just observing your marketing emails, which might come on a random day when they don't need your product.
0: It's like a one-click buy?
1: Yeah. Our previous product this evolved from was called One Click Pony.
0: Oh, got it. Not your first rodeo. Uh-huh. I see what you did there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but that was what we originally observed was finding ways to drive repeat purchases with one click. And then subscriptions were just a place that I was really interested in because with my previous company, Card Hooks, saw how impactful recurring revenue subscriptions are as a tool. But again it goes back to you need to do it in sort of a nuanced way that actually helps you accomplish your goals around maximizing ltv so for the brands that we work with are the ones who already have existing customers trying to scale up their subscription program but what we're really good at is we've worked on both the brand and vendor side but really on the tech side so most d2c brands they don't have tech help in-house they might have a junior developer So part of what we can do by working with these larger brands is it can be a bit more consultative where we can talk about strategy and help them incorporate the features the functionality that actually will help them grow LTV.
0: So it's not just like installing an app and being like, let's see how I can use this in my business. It's actually like, Hey guys, based on what I know about you and what you do, these are the things I think you should implement. And... This is completely off topic, but Ben and I did kind of talk about this in our pre-chat. And there's a reason why he built a product to work with the brands that he works with, Right? it's not your $30 a month Shopify app, it's just not. But I think the reason why he made that decision and why he's positioned himself that way is a lesson for everyone who has to price a product Including my physical product based businesses that are listening to this episode right now, because there is a customer for every single price point and there is a place for you to fit in the market. Do not compete on price because it is just a fucking race to the bottom. And those customers, the ones who are hung up on price and they make decisions based on price. They are your worst customers. They send you the most customer service inquiries. They request the most refunds. They (laughs) are not worth your time. So just be okay with carving your little luxury spot in the space. If that's what you do, just as a complete and random side note.
1: No, I think that's right on in obviously it's coming from a place where you know why we've approached the strategy but yeah a big piece is like we can afford to invest the time that we think is warranted to really be helpful and as someone who's been building businesses for a long time i enjoy being able to like go deeper and beyond like superficial problems and be able to take an hour and talk through your strategy and it's fun it's somewhat selfish
0: it's my favorite part
1: Yeah. Like even having conversations like this is fun because it's not like we're talking at the most basic level We're like, oh, you have experience, you have specific problems. And I think especially being on the technical side, part of what gets me excited is someone coming to me with like a hair on fire problem being like, I don't know how to fucking solve this. And then I can look at it and be like, oh, well, as a nerd, now that you've told me what the goal is, we're very good at reverse engineering things. And sometimes it's as simple as you actually just need a different app. And because I've been in an ecosystem for a long time, like you should use this product or work with this person. And so a lot of, I would say, the value is even in just having had exposure and being like, oh, yeah, you should talk to this person or I've seen them do a similar thing.
0: Yeah, I love that. You know, I do so many of the things that I do for my business so that I can have more conversations with e-commerce founders so I can solve their problems because that's the fun part. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, get it. Ben gets me, guys.
1: Yeah, 100%. And one of my goals is to have more interesting conversations with more merchants.
0: Okay. So my last thing here is let's pretend that the audience tuned out this entire episode and haven't really listened to us. Wouldn't that be so sad? I don't think that happened. But just in case, I want you guys to come back right now. What is like the number one takeaway you want them to have from today's episode?
1: That I have paper towels in my freezer. (laughs) (laughs) And therein lies the problem.
0: Yes, 100%. I love that, actually. But if you want to add something else, you can.
1: Well, that actually is connected to that, which is that following, we'll call it the religion of subscription blindly, is a losing battle. It's a great tool, but it requires more nuance than that. And that for you, especially in 2023 and beyond, to build a successful brand, Like the market and the tools at your disposal are evolving really quickly. And so what's really important is for you to be looking at and experimenting with different ways to segment your customers and figure out what's the best way to serve each person. And for each person is going to be different. And so not assuming blindly that discounts are the thing you're going to use to motivate everyone. Instead, you should be experimenting and tracking as you can. And if you are a brand that's interested in this consumer-centric approach towards growing LTV and subscriptions, always happy to talk and be helpful if I can. So I guess that would be the thing to leave them with beyond the paper towel. But the paper towel is the symptom of what's wrong with the model.
0: Absolutely. I think it sums it up perfectly, honestly. And at the end of the day, if you are only in business or only in a product-based business to make money, then like go white label something and sell it on amazon but if you are in the product-based space to like create better experiences for people so that they can have a better happier more joyful life then you have to put them at the forefront of all your decisions that's just how it goes where can everyone find you
1: well so my twitter handle is skinny and bald Cause I'm kind of skinny, kind of bald
0: <laughs> as he lifts up the beanie. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's also that on LinkedIn, but my name's Ben Fisher. You can search for me. And then our website is Hey and Hey H E Y not Hey, that a horse eats. I realized actually when I first described, it, I was like, Oh, that's a tricky one, but Hey H E Y period rodeo R o d e o. Best way to get in touch with me probably through LinkedIn or Twitter though, but you can also just reach out also through our website.
0: Love it. And I will link all of that in the show notes. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. I know we went down some rabbit holes, but I hope you enjoy that as much as I do. I know you could be anywhere on the internet right now. So I appreciate that you were here with us and I hope you have a kick-ass day and I'll see you on the flip side, friend.